Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Roxanne Borneman, and I'm a member of this great congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, the UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal education, religion, liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or your economic situation. Whoever you are and wherever you are on life's journey, you're very welcome here. We're currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to our church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. And I've got a couple of announcements for today. After today's service, please join the congregation upstairs in the dining hall as we celebrate the start of the new church year with a delicious catered brunch and wonderful fellowship. Also, religious education classes are going to be starting next Sunday, September the 18th, to help ensure we have the most up-to-date information for each participant and to help us create an inclusive community, we ask that each family complete a registration form annually. The link is in the Wednesday email and in the yellow pages. And lastly, a memorial service for Jim Young is taking place here at the Unitarian Church on, in here in Wausau on Saturday, September 17th. Visitation is from 2 to 3 p.m. with service and reception following. And with that, let us gather our hearts and our minds for worship today. And please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in the order of your service. We light this chalice for the light of truth the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment, we light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And with that, please open your songbooks to hymn number 347 and join us in the singing of Gather the Spirit, Stand as You're Able.
remain standing and join together in declaring our affirmation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer to dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with we and now join together for our doxology. water communion. Later we'll be adding drops of water with special meaning into a, our big vessel. Drops representing what each of us will bring to this community this year. Each of our Unitarian Universalist rituals and traditions has an origin story, a tale of how it came to be. And so it is with our water communion. It's important to remind it of the meaning of this ritual every year. So that's what we're going to do this morning with an adapted retelling of the origin of water communion by Darlene Anderson Alexander. But first, I have an overflowing wonder box up here with some supplies that will help us tell our story. And I'm wondering if some brave volunteer would be willing to come up and help me dig in. I see some people shrinking down in their seats, maybe trying to hide. I promise there are no wrong answers. I've got some reluctant volunteers. I've got volunteers that are being very brave, and I thank them very much for joining. But next time, Brian, we'll, we'll put you in the list. Come on up. We're gonna actually gonna move this to the side. So I'm just wondering if you can help me get all our supplies out of our box and maybe help folks in the way back tell them what it is. Do you know what that is? So we've got a big rain stick. Do you want to hold it up high for me, Tessa? Thank you. Perfect. What else we got? Globe. A partially kind of wonky deflated globe. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Let's see. What could it maybe be? Some ribbons. What else we got? Cloud. A big fluffy cloud. Sticks. A very sparkly stick. A rainbow. Ooh, I know. Target. <laughs> and a box of tissues. Do you have any idea what these things might have to do with our water communion story? Any guess? Again, there are no wrong answers. Water, water and rainbow, water on earth. Kleenex to dry your tears. Kleenex water, to dry your tears. Cloud water. Cloud water. You are. Stick. I think you are right on the button. 
Thank you for helping me with our Wonder Box this morning. Join me back to your seats. I think we're going to find out what these things have to do with water. So over 50 years ago, in the 1970s in this country, women were rallying together to change the way they were being treated politically, socially, and economically. In 1977, the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly introduced the Women and Religion Resolution. Our UUA bylaws were updated, our principles were revised, and some of our songs were revised to reflect more gender-inclusive language. Prior to that, they often referenced man. The words weren't the only things to change. People's ideas were changing too. This resolution challenged us and continues to challenge us today as a denomination to examine our assumptions, our prejudices, and our most basic ideas. In 1980, a great gathering was held, a convoca convocation on feminist theology, and people came from all over to honor the journeys. Two women, Lucille Longview and Carolyn McDade, created a ceremony of water sharing. And you might recognize Carolyn McDade's name as one of the people that have written some of our favorite hymns, including number 346, Come Sing a Song With Me. You can join in singing the first verse if you like. and grew into a mighty river of support. From the Atlantic and Pacific, from Canada and the Rio Grande, the women and waters came. From the mountains and deserts, from rivers and streams, from drops of rain, the women and the waters came. In a circle of hundreds, they gathered. In a circle of hundreds, they sang. In a circle unbroken, they listened to each other's stories and they listened to the waters. The women came forth with their waters, the waters from all over the land, and they mingled the waters in a great earthen bowl, much as we will do in our vessel this morning. The women had embarked on a great pilgrimage, and their happy hearts sung with the melody of peace. They were coming home. And so Unitarian Universalist congregations all over have taken this ritual and reimagined it in countless ways but always returning to the ideas of our journeys mingling, our stories, our gifts, our blessings, and of coming home. And also, they always lift up the gift and spirit of water rests in, excuse me, exists in every raindrop. In the clouds and the air we breathe, in the rivers and every stream, and puddle in the vastness of the ocean, I'm gonna throw the earth around, and the ocean waves. 
in every rainbow, in the veins of trees, every tear we shed, whether for joy or grief. We are all literally water, living on a giant ball of water in a pulsating, breathing, alive universe. So we gather together today at the metaphorical river to begin our year together. Welcome. And that was our story for today. We are worshiping as a whole community this morning, so to bless those here and those who are joining us online, please join in singing, May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of service. and ministry of UUWASA is made possible by the generous support of all of its friends and all of you as members. Rather than passing a plate right now at this time, we've placed a basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also utilize our website, which is at uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or reoccurring gift with your credit or debit card. I don't think we have PayPal and Venmo yet, Carl.
I'd like to invite everyone to join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer. I want to encourage you to start by putting your feet flat and firm on the ground if you'd like. If you pray or meditate with your eyes closed, you're welcome to close them. Let us begin by taking a nice deep breath. Breathe it deep down into your stomach. And as you breathe out, let the tension in your shoulders just slide out. Unclench your jaw. Become aware of your heart, the sanctuary of people. Let us pray. All-knowing spirit, you send a wind across our land, a wind of judgment and correction. Help us, we pray, to understand that love endures beyond that burning wind, that your call is to give our lives to help restore peace with justice. But there is so much work to do. We see around us so many people whose lives are scorched by lack of work and food and shelter, by isolation and lack of community. The needs are so great and our efforts seem so small. On this somber anniversary of the attacks on our nation, let us honor the memory of the dead, the sadness endured by those left behind the sacrifice of the first responders, and the vision of our nation to be a land of freedom and justice for all. Give us the strength to step up when you call us to leave the flock and set out to find who is lost, the faith to trust that love will be there with us as we search. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Let us stay seated for prayer hymn number 100, I've Got Peace Like a River.
to see all of you. I decided to throw a curveball with the reading this morning. Uh, just yesterday in the Atlantic, I read this wonderful article by, by Alan Lightman. Alan Lightman is a physicist and a professor at um, uh, MIT, and he wrote this wonderful article entitled, Life is an Accident of Space and Time. And I said, I've got to share some of this article with the congregation in the morning. So, this is, what, this is what Dr. Dr. Lightman said, and this, I think, pairs really well with Jess's story this morning. So get this. Oh, one more thing. I have a colleague who serves a church on Nantucket Island, and he says this. I don't know if I agree with him or not, but he says that the true theologians of today are the best scientists. 
or warning us what we need to do, where we need to go, the mistakes we've made. In any case, I don't know if he's true or not. Here's what Alan Lightman writes. In fact, scientific research suggests that life in the universe is rare. A few years ago, using results from the Kepler satellite to estimate the fraction of stars with possibly habitable planets, even if all potentially habitable planets do in fact harbor life, the fraction of matter in the universe in living form is exceedingly small, about one billionth of one billionth. That's like a few grains of sand on the Gobi Desert. Evidently, we living things are very special arrangement of atoms and molecules. But one thing is almost certain. Life in our universe is extremely rare. I have already explained that life is rare in space. Only a small fraction of matter exists in any living form. Life is also rare in time, in the long unfolding of the universe. At some point in the future, perhaps a few hundred billion years, after all the stars have burned out and all sources of energy have been extinguished, life in our universe will end. Not just similar life to that on Earth, but life of all kinds. Isn't that a wonderful thought? If I just ended there. <laughs> the era of life will have passed. Now the good news. What should we make of this realization? For me, it offers a feeling of kinship with every living thing. We living things are the only mechanism by which the universe can observe itself. We living things in a few grains of sand in the desert and that special arrangement of atoms and molecules that can attempt to fathom and record this dazzling spectacle of existence. In a limited but real sense, we living things help give the universe meaning. Without us, the cosmos would just be. There you go, you particles of atoms. There's your reading for this morning.
So earlier this, this summer, my family traveled near my wife's hometown to celebrate her brother's wedding in the central southern part of Illinois where it gets as hot as the hinges of hell. And of course, the wedding was held outside. That's what they do. And it was held outside right on the edge of a cornfield, which robbed us of any hope for a breeze. And so my in-laws, they honored me with the privilege of officiating their wedding. And in the pre-marriage meetings with them, I would learn that they're not traditionally religious people, but they share what I would describe as a religious understanding of love. They believe, and I believe, that love is a sacred bond uniquely expressed in the coming together of two people. I will remember the summer of 22 as the summer of my brother-in-law's wedding, but it will also go down as the summer I ended up in the emergency room at a tiny hospital in a backwoods Illinois town. Everybody loves a good hospital story, so here's mine. So one morning I was sitting outside reading when just like an instant, like a light switch, I was violently, violently overtaken by pain in my stomach. And then my heart started to race. And then my mouth instantly went dry. And then I had difficulty breathing. Now my daughter, she says that while I was in this distress, I was talking the entire time, but nothing I said made sense. And so if I walked, I felt tingly across my entire body. Lying down, I felt uncomfortable. And sitting up, I never felt any better. It was like I was a prisoner in my own body, and it just kept getting worse. And so we rushed off to the ER. So keeping short what I could easily turn into a very long and detailed story, the reason I was in such distress was because of a 1 by 0.5 micrometer bacteria called E. coli. The ER doctor, he said that I likely got E. coli from drinking tap water, the tap water down there that is plagued with cow feces and pesticides that drain off the farmlands and into the water table. The water is just fine for us locals, the doctor said to me. We're used to it, but you outsiders, you probably shouldn't drink it. It turns out I'm allergic to bull, you know what, so don't try it with me. You should learn this by now. So several hours later, I was released from the hospital, just a little worse for the wear and with meds to finally clear up these invaders in my gut. And we stocked up on bottled water, which we had to use now for absolutely everything. Cleaning fruits and vegetables, brushing our teeth, cleaning toothbrushes in my nieces and nephews, bottles and pacifiers. Now, my father-in-law is a good and very loving man. And as soon as I got out of the hospital, when I got back to the house, he said, boy, Brian, I am just so glad you were out of the hospital. I don't think we could have found another wedding officiant in time if you hadn't got out. <laughs> and so in the end, thanks to God's gift, otherwise known as antibiotics, and a constant flow of kaopactate, which this sermon this morning is brought to you by kaopactate. So because of these medicines, I was able to officiate the wedding just as the sun set on the cattle pastures and the fields of corn that caused me to contract Montezuma's revenge. As Ralph Waldo Emerson said of water, water ill-used will destroy. In perfect time and measure with a face of golden pleasure, water will elegantly destroy. 
With that, I hope all of you had a relaxing ER-free summer and that you are looking forward to a very pleasant fall. This is easier said than done, of course, since I last addressed this wonderful congregation from this pulpit, the war in Ukraine still rages. We have a brand new virus that's wreaking havoc. Cities throughout the West and Southwest have been forced to appoint, and this is a real title, they've been forced to appoint chief heat officers to combat the effects of heat and water shortages in some of our nation's most popular and populous cities. In fact, just last month, the UN warned that Lake Mead, you all have heard of it, Lake Mead, which supplies water to three states and parts of Mexico, Las Vegas, for instance, draws 90% of its water from the basin. Lake Mead is on the brink of what experts call, quote, Deadpool. What a Deadpool is, is the point when water literally stops flowing downstream. But the cherry on top of this bad news Sunday arrived on September 8th, when news broke that Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest serving monarch, was dead at 96. Now there is no shortage of tributes and critiques of Queen Elizabeth II, and I have read both, and while all of her critics are very ill-timed, some of their concerns are legitimate. But these concerns do absolutely nothing to waver my love for the crown, its traditions, and Her Majesty. I hope the newly crowned King Charles III actually fails in his desire to scale back royal pomp and make it look like the boring monarchies of Scandinavia. In my mind, the pomp of the British monarchy is the point, because ceremony is the substance for good and bad. After all, if the ceremony is discarded, I fear that the monarchy will be too. I've shared in the past from this pulpit multiple times that I enjoy reading celebrity tabloids. I think they're wonderful. But I enjoy the ooey-gooey gossip about British royals the best, with all of their titles and their outfits and the expectations and all that fine schooling. It turns out that all these people are just like us. They're all very, very fallible and very full of flatulence. The optics of the Queen's position was, as we well know, one of wealth and glamour. But, the Guardian noted in its obituary, quote, they were just accoutrements of office. A countrywoman at heart, she was happiest on horseback or in a tweed shirt, sturdy shoes and a headscarf, walking her corgis, wringing wounded pheasants' necks, or tramping the highland moors of Balmoral, end quote. I did some research on Her Majesty, and it turns out that among her prized possessions was the Tupperware she used to store her breakfast cereal in, and also a battery-powered animatronic Big Mouth Billy Bass that she kept on her piano. What every single one of her obituaries note is the way that she approached her work, which was with near total humility. And humility is in short supply these days. So a reminder of this virtue surely can't hurt. That Elizabeth II became queen was essentially an accident. Her uncle, for history buffs, her uncle abdicated the throne when she was just 10 years old and overnight, a 10-year-old was heir apparent. I want you to really imagine this for a second. Just imagine what it'd be like to be 10 years old 
and know that one day you would rule a portion of the world. Now for the parents in this room, and I have a 10-year-old, imagine that your 10-year-old, whether you or they like it or not, will be king or queen of a kingdom. Billions of people around the globe will look to them to champion peace and prosperity, to show up in times of triumph and publicly mourn in times of trauma, to be perfect, to never fail or falter to be head of the Church of England, the weekly confidant of Britain's highest elected official, and the keeper of tradition that dates back centuries. And yes, we all know that this gig comes with castles and really good hunting grounds and tiaras, but it also comes with an endless stream of responsibilities and the constant presence of paparazzi who plague every moment of your life and publish every little misstep you or a member of your family make. Now imagine you or your kids are forced into this job at 25 years old. How many of you, be honest with yourselves, how many of you at 25 were mature enough to run a McDonald's, let alone a 300-year-old kingdom? 25's not even old enough to be the president of the United States. You can't even be a senator at 25. Being a royal is a back-breaking job. Just watch Prince Harry and the Duchess Meghan's interview with Oprah, which is really good, if you don't believe me. In an era with so much emphasis on the pointlessness of tradition, on individuality at all costs, on the constant need to search for greener pastures, on turning your life into a sellable brand, the queen stands in relief and shows us what it's like to play the hand you are dealt about as well as one could be played. Playing a hand like that required her to exercise virtues that very few of our public figures today even know exist. Things like duty, reliability, commitment, silence, dignity, fidelity, devotion to God, family, and nation. Her death is worth us pausing for, to honor the legacy of someone the likes of which we will never see again in our lifetime. Her death, in fact, marks the end of a certain kind of a world in the same way the attacks on our nation on September 11th, 2001, marked the end of a certain kind of world then. As one author says of the Queen's reign, quote, its excellencies as well as its shortcomings are worthy of remembrance. By nature of the role she inherited, she would be personally identified with the sins of the nation she had no choice but to serve. If you think about our nation, America's Original sin is what? It's slavery. And in Britain, the original sin there is the history of empire. And she faced this reality honestly. She spent 70 years acknowledging the terrors of exploitation, and in turn, she constructed something more positive. I've read headlines around the world, and they all read, Our heart, our beloved, is dead. Queen Elizabeth II's death invites the world to mourn together, and we should. It invites us to meditate on how so much of what happens in life is impossible to prevent. But it is life's happenings, the good and the bad, and our reaction to them that give shape to reality. Let us not forget that without us, there'd be nothing to help give the universe any meaning. So there are two ideas at work in this morning's sermon that I'm inviting you to consider in the week ahead. 
The first is the metaphor of water, and the second is duty. Water, as Emerson reminds us, water can be gentle. Water can give us life. But water can also swell into a death-dealing wave. It can hide unseen organisms that can kill. Water can be used to torture, and water can be used to baptize. And each of us in our own way are not entirely unlike water. We can be gentle and flowing, or we can be violent and destructive. Knowing this, knowing that our living creates personal and universal meaning, the question immediately becomes one of duty. To what will I pledge my life? To what have I pledged my life? Will I keep my pledge of parenthood when my child becomes a thankless adult? Will I keep my pledge of duty to a church that is always filled with imperfect people? To challenging classrooms I'm given to teach? To a nation with blemishes? To a room full of addicts? To a colony of lepers? To a spouse who ages poorly and grovels loudly? To a job you hate but provides for your family? to a worthy cause doomed to fail. But why contemplate duty? For one, because life is challenging. Contemplating our commitments and our duty to them gets us to ask ourselves, perhaps to ask God, to think through, to meditate on who we've been called to be even when we're in an emergency room, when a spouse dies, when a nation is attacked, when the going gets tough. Years ago, when a group of laywomen designed the first water communion, they chose water because for them it symbolized power and the cycle of life, and that life is never easy. They believed, and I believe along with them, that the only spirituality worthy of our devotion is one that uplifts, one that empowers, and one that connects. And this work, whether given or received, is never easy. But this is exactly why human beings create rituals, to render sacred in the presence of friends and family, in front of a courtroom or a classroom, a promise. I promise to love you in sickness and in health. I promise to serve my country in the best of times and the worst. I promise to believe in my students even when they don't believe in themselves. I promise to serve my city and its residents even and especially when there's little that we agree on. And this is what water communion can be about. It doesn't have to just be a travelogue. It can be about you making a specific commitment in front of the congregation you've pledged a sacred duty to. So as you come to the common container to pour your water, I invite you to share an act, a duty, a promise you will uphold in the upcoming year to this church community. And so please, whether or not you brought water, come forward at this time and share your hope and your promise with us now. There's a picture for those of you forgetful this morning. Please come forward now. I brought muddied waters (laughs) because I can't believe that intelligent people would believe 
lies. What is wrong with us? But I left room at the top for new thoughts and new ideas. And if we do nothing, nothing will happen. But if we do something, we can change it. to trust the source of life and water. My water is from my rain gauge, which I was very happy to see get a little this weekend because we needed it. And uh, my pledge is to try to make my garden as good as it can be with the rain. water from uh, Council Grounds State Park and because of uh, water communion I'm thinking about how many molecules are in here and where they've come from and how many different parts of nature that they've been and now they're in water communion. Yesterday I had the very nice occasion of lunch with my daughter. Doesn't happen all that often because she's busy and I try to stay busy myself. But she brought me some water from her garden and it had basil in it. So um, that was my offering. This is rainwater. Uh, hello? This is rainwater. Uh, we had an argument over rainwater or water from our stream, but this is actually easier to get. So, rainwater it is because we figured it's potential stream water. And um, it's part of the cycle of life. We pledge to honor the cycles of life this year and this congregation.
water is from my home, and my pledge to the church is for further faith and forgiveness. I brought water in my water bottle, symbolizing the, the bike rides I took with my brothers uh, this summer, and um, more to come. Hello, hi. So I put my uh, water can out so I remind myself to feed my outside plants. Then my friend came for a visit and I forgot and then nature took care of it. So this is from my watering can, best intentions. <laughs> can, don't always work out, but it, it finds a way. Um, and also to sort of represent the joy I've found this year, particularly in flowers growing. So I'm just starting to let myself be in my new place. So my commitment to this congregation, which is allowing me to live in this new place with joy, is to continue to volunteer my time on the board and sing in the choir and get to know as many of you as I possibly can. Good morning. The water I bring with me was not harvested through forethought of gathering water during travels this past year. So this morning what I did is I went out and I harvested this bit of water from the rain gauge in my front yard. The same water that probably kept many of you from the art fair yesterday afternoon in downtown Wausau. The molecules from where this water came from could it be from anywhere. Traveling through the miracle of our jet stream, it could have come from the West Coast. Hopefully not, because they need the water. It could have come from China. It could have come from the South Coast. But it shows the mingling that we are within the universe. And so I offer this as a testimony to our existence and our joy together. Thank you. Recently, I was at our cottage on Pickerel Lake in Forest County, and I meant to remember to bring water from there because it was so important to me, but I forgot. So I don't have any water, but I will pour some from the pitcher. Since 1943, the Gresh family has been on Pickerel Lake. There have been five generations of Greshes that have swum in that lake, that have fished in that lake, that have rowed in that lake, and enjoyed that wonderful water. Today, there are 27 Greshes that use that water recreationally several times a year. I am thankful for that water, and I will do my best to work for safe water everywhere. Hi, uh, this is yesterday's rainwater collected from our prairie cup plants out at the uh, cottage. Uh, great for insects, birds, and tree frogs, 
not so good for art festivals outside. We have Lake Michigan water, and that's a place of restoration for our family. And um, my pledge to this congregation is to continue to balance um, our need for peace and restoration with our acceptance of all kinds of individuals who, um, and children especially, and to balance the creative tension between boisterous and creative and noisy and peaceful and restoration and um, peace. I have water from the same place and this water that brings so much joy to our lives, kayaking, throwing the dummy for the dog to fetch, um, swimming, bathing the dog in, um, all kinds of things. I'm just so grateful for it and um, so my pledge is to continue that gratitude here. This water is from my youth, when we as a family used to go to the Rocky Mountains and camp, and we would take palmful after palmful of water and drink it. My father used to say it was the purest water we would ever drink. And this water is from my second youth in Ireland where I would do the same. I go to the mountain streams and drink palmful after palmful of water. And may our earth know this pure, clear water again. That's my prayer. And my pledge is to continue learning about global warming because I'm taking a course now and I'm slowly taking action by action, but I'm just learning. And it's lovely, it's amazing to be learning all this. Good morning. Uh, this summer, my family had the opportunity to go visit New York City and we took a tour of Ellis Island. And as we were there, for anybody that's been there, for anybody that's not been there, it's just an incredibly powerful place because you stand in that welcome hall and this is the very spot where millions of our ancestors walked through. And the water that I didn't bring, but the water that I'll pour in represents New York Harbor and it represents a welcome for all of us that came through that, that um, historical hall. And you know, right now, us in Wausau, and certainly us on our, our block, for example, we're welcoming a family of refugees. And in I Teach at Wausau West, we're welcoming students that are refugees. And I think we, as a, as a people, just have to be very mindful of 
their situation. And we tell our kids and we tell our students, try and put yourself in those shoes because it's unthinkable the lives that they're living. And it's, you know, the, the, the kids that are, are this, this tall, that they are, have seen way more life than any of us care to ever see in our entire lives. And so my thought and my, my um, pledge to this, this church is just to be that welcoming person personally, professionally, and spiritually. This water is, is from Brunette State Park. And we went there this summer to go camping with our younger son and his children. And this represents the water that we've been talking about, how important it is. And it also represents family and it re represents all that we need for our for our life and we hope we hope every everything will go well as far as what we're hearing now about the earth so that's what it represents to me thank you This is water that we gathered from Lake Superior about two weeks ago when we were up on a visit with our dear friends Russ and Carrie Wilson, John and Pauline Zweck. Big water for a big friendship. And our pledge to each of you is to be your friend in the year to come. water is from Plum Lake, where I have been going for over 60 years to grow, to recharge, and to relax. Hopefully that will make me a better person to be here in this congregation. Hello, though the water I have today is the tears from grief um, after a loss that I recently experienced. And my pledge to all of you is the awareness that we all are going through changes and the cycle of life and losses and new beginnings and grief is a part of our life, but also the cycle of life um, brings us new beginnings. So I pledge to be available to all of you for support as we are all on that journey together. Hi, I'm Kate and I break rules. I was tardy 
and I didn't have a pass, sorry. And I was so inspired being here. I didn't hear the beginning, of course, but I was up in the balcony trying to help the, little, help the kids try to find something to do. And I was like, they didn't test out how loud these are, but that's okay, right? And I'm so glad you're here. And now I see there's things right in front here, and I'm like, oh yeah, that might have been quieter, but that's okay. I'm so excited, I am so excited that I counted from up there 17 kids here. 17. There's an infant. There are teenagers, there are youth here, and I have the goosebumps now. I am so excited. I love that you're all back. Whether you're a child, a youth, an infant, a, a lifelong learner or whatever, I am so excited. I feel loved and held here. And I already went off script because I was scribbling for a while. Um, so my water. Um, this water, I was going to collect the water from the rain. The puddles, the puddles have dried up. <laughs> so... So I thought, well, I'll take it from the tap, from my residence, because it's water's cleansing, right? And it's magic, and magic is happening right now here. I'm feeling magic here, and I'm not kidding. Um, so grief, refugees, I'm so connected. We are all so connected, right? I seek refuge here also, and we are all refugees in our own ways. And so I just really am so glad that we're all here and that we can voice, voice our feelings and everything together and feel held and feel comforted. Um, and they didn't put me up to this. This, this is like, this, the universe is moving through me right now. And I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Um, so, El May, the um, El May Passano, uh, my mother-in-law that a lot of you know, she, uh, we're coming across, uh, upon the anniversary of her death also, um, and her birthday. Um, and she, I feel her presence with us, just like Fran. Um, and with the art weekend, I'm determined to get there today. Yes, I wanted to go, but that's okay with the rain. And I went and saw, went to the Grand Theater. That's another performing arts thing that she brought to our family, that joy. So that's okay, Elmay. I'm going to the art fest. That's all right. Um, it's a fresh start, right? We're back. We're healing. We're growing. Um, my kids are grown. So seeing these little kids and hearing and shh and all that, I'm just like, oh, I miss my kids being little. Um, <laughs> and there will be classes, right? Um, so please keep coming back. Please tell your friends. I am so excited. Um, I think a lot of us are. We have plans, teachers, and again, Jess didn't put me up to this. We have plans for great fun things in the classes and gatherings, and they're meaningful and fun and, and everything you want it to be. And we need volunteers too. We need you to keep supporting us and being okay with kids being a little loud or whatever. <laughs> Sometimes that's me. Um, and breaking rules like me. Um, my pledge is to keep on teaching here and to keep on welcoming and loving every one of you, even if I don't know you, I care about you. And I truly mean that. Um, I'm not gonna drop the mic, but I'll set it down here <laughs> and uh, I'll pour my water. Thank you. With our waters mingled, let us rise in spirit or body and sing together our closing hymn number 1000, There's a River Flowing in My Soul. 1007, in the Teal Book.
some closing words and a benediction. If you'll receive them, I want to remind you to gather upstairs for some food and fellowship. It'll be nice to reconnect after a summer, sort of uh, our unique summers here at this church. If you would, if you came here with someone, I invite you to take their hand if, if you're willing. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude, and I'll see you in a moment.